Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. This is Tom Salemi, your sort of host, but I'm here with the real host, Steve Krupa of the Silos Group. Hello, Steve. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing real well. Rooting for the Cubs, rooting for them hard. Okay, fair enough. But, fair uh, enough. you know, if it's Cubs Cleveland, then what the hell? How do I, how do I pick? You got to go with Tito, don't you? Isn't he your man? Well, Theo Epstein's my man, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it does raise the question, who is the, who is the real curse killer? If it's, if, if it's uh, Tito versus Theo, it's going to settle it, I guess. Yeah, they, it they, will. They both have an opportunity to, to, to change some horrible karma. Anyway... We're coming up on uh, the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit on November 2nd in Boston at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. How about that? It's coming up real it's, quick. It's uh, November 2nd, right? Yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And Robert Mittendorf is uh, on our podcast uh, this week, who's a co-chair, along yes. with uh, Mr. Geary, who we talked to uh, last last couple of podcasts ago. And uh, Robert had the distinction of being my very first podcast guest just about a year ago. That's right. That's right. So you and, is he your first repeat customer? Yeah. Well, he's my friend, and uh, he uh, he's the fir- he's the first person that we've gone back to a second time. We did run Dan the Dan Burton interview, but that was that was from back at the beginning as well. But this is a new, you know, right out of the box conversation with Robert, and it's kind of uh, we didn't go. You know, if you want to go back and listen to the other one, talk, it talks about his his medical practice and how it influences his venture capital activities. This one is about the um, the coming of age of digital health. What's driving demand? Are there any proof points that it's working? You know, and if you remember, we did the whole evidation podcast that dealt with with that question. You know, what are the prospects for you know building large companies in the area? So uh, it's a good conversation. No, it definitely was, and it's uh, it's one people enjoy. And I have a secret for you, Steve Krupa. Oh, give it to me. We've got a new a new keynote speaker. Ah. Just signed him yesterday, Governor Charles Baker, the Massachusetts nice. governor. Yes. So. Now is he a Republican? He is a Republican. So how does Republican get elected in Massachusetts? I didn't think that was possible. We like our Republicans conservative, physic physically, physically, <laughs> fiscally. Fiscally. And, and thank you. And uh, uh, liberal socially. So Bill nice. Weld kind of broke the mold with that one. And, and Charlie Baker was actually uh, in his administration. So so uh, he's a good guy. He's complete opposite. As opposite as you can get to the uh, the, the presidential Republican nominee. So, uh, so and who's that? Who's that? I'm trying to remember his name. I've Pence? Seen, I've seen it on buildings. But uh, <laughs> I think it might be. Uh, <laughs> is there a Trump building in Boston? I don't even know. There is not. There is not. Yep. But I was so he in, stayed away. He did. He was in Chicago. I was in Chicago last week, though, and there's a big old Trump building right there downtown. So yeah. look, you look at it a little bit differently now. But anyway, yes, Charlie Baker will be on hand to uh, not only was he uh, in the uh, the Weldon Salucci administrations during a lot of the healthcare consolidation in the 90s, but uh, he went on to lead Harvard Pilgrim and did a great job at that. So it'll be a great conversation. And I would point out to you, Weld is on a ticket. Yes, he is. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you can vote for your buddy Weld if you want to. He he's should, he should be VP the candidate for president. He or should he's be candidate at the top of the ticket. He should be right there up top. Probably. Yeah. You're probably right about that. Excellent. Well, this is a, a, a great conversation with Robert Mittendorf. We'll get into that. 
inviting everybody to uh, the November 2nd Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, although it's, uh, it's selling out, so people want to register right away. Go to healthag.com, word health, followed by the letters egy.com. And now let's start the podcast. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast for the second time and the our first two-time guest. Uh, please welcome uh, Robert Mittendorf, the, uh, the co-chair of the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, so last time, which was really, I guess, last year, uh, we spent a fair amount of time talking about your life as a doctor and an investor, and I'd welcome people to listen back on that. It's an interesting discussion. Uh, and then we talked a lot about the, the agenda of the summit, which we covered with uh, with Bill Geary a couple of weeks back. And I thought maybe you and I could take a bigger picture of um, digital health and health innovation in general and uh, and start to talk about where things are heading, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. So when we talk to our limited partners and our investors and we explain to them why we're doing this for a living, we've got a thesis as to why this is an, an interesting place and maybe an extraordinary place to invest. Give me a sense from your perspective and at, at, at a high level uh, why digital health is a cool place to be looking at high investment returns. Yeah, I think that's where we are now in the industry, I think. And I'm, I'm very proud of the, the work that our whole advisory board and, and Bill and myself have been able to achieve this year with some amazing uh, individuals who are taking part in the program at the conference the conference also, you know, continues to grow each year in terms of um, speed of people registering and in terms of um, kind of the value that we believe people get out of it. But I think it also is a reflection of how the space is maturing. You know, just a couple of short years ago, we have had a lot of investment in this space of digital health, technology-enabled healthcare services, um, healthcare IT, consumer health, all of these names or buzzwords fly around. Um, really, the combination of software and clinical and financial and operational understanding to transform the th- nor- um, almost three trillion or so in, in healthcare spend in, in the U.S. and and in other countries as well. Um, and I think we're not not only have we seen exits, but I think we're now seeing proof points. We're seeing um, the drivers that we thought would affect these markets um, actually affecting the markets that healthcare carries under its umbrella, and we're seeing the application of technology to solve problems in healthcare that we were only dreaming about a couple years ago. So what I would summarize in saying is that I think we are we are definitely seeing legitimacy in the space, mm-hmm. not only from a proof and um, driver perspective, but also with exits. Even one of our own companies just listed or just uh, filed their you know, non-confidential S1 algorithm to go public. And I think, you know, they're a digital health company. So I think, I think we're seeing more and more legitimacy in the space. And, and with that legitimacy, um, also uh, financial returns that make sense for continued smart investment in the space. Yeah. So, so if I think about the, the points, drivers in the space, technology coming of age, uh, proof that it's working. So let's start with, the, with drivers. What do you think is driving the need for uh, investment in this area? Because investment's doing great, right? I think we're going to be, at least in the venture side for digital health, over over $4 billion again for this year. At least the numbers look like they'll turn out that way. What, what are the drivers that are, that are creating that uh, interest? Yeah, I think we definitely see the investment dollars, and we're also seeing the exits and the cash-on-cash returns. Mm-hmm. 
that we've spoken about before <clears throat> with companies like Fital, Humedica, uh, et cetera, where uh, Evelyn, where those returns are, are good for investors. I think on the driver end, <clears throat> a large percentage of this has been driven by government regulation, but also technology. But if we look at the government regulation side, we're finally seeing the cascade of effects from the PPACA that has reframed how payment works and how people will get graded and providers and, and payers. And, and those changes are occurring where now we have new business models that are becoming successful. So if I just break it down into the kind of four payers, if you will, employers, commercial insurance, and then the two government payers, Medicaid and Medicare, where Medicaid's at the state level. I think uh, what we thought would happen, and I'll just give you a couple of bolts in each area, what we thought would happen is happening. So employers, for example, are more mindful of their uh, spend. They, uh, they have obviously adopted with the notion of the Cadillac tax, higher deductible plans mm-hmm. um, and higher with, higher with premiums that are still high. But they're throwing their uh, employees new opportunities to cut their costs with narrow networks and steerage. And some examples there are, even from 2013, Walmart and Lowe's with their um, bundles for certain types of procedures with Hopkins, Kaiser, Mercy, Seattle, and Cleveland Clinic. If you ask those employers how they're doing, that those have been, and the providers, those have been, uh, I think, useful additions, although it is still growing sure. dramatically. So I think, I think the employer has said, we are complying with the PPACA. We understand deductibles go up, but hey, there's no charge for your, your spine operation if you go to where we think the highest quality, lowest cost care is. So that's happened, and that enables a lot of opportunity for IT solutions in that space. Sure. I think the other part in the commercial area um, with those high deductibles is that with consumers on the hook, providers now have to deal with cash pay. Effectively, a higher deductible means that I'm paying the provider directly. And consumers are also looking for alternative care models, not only for convenience, but also for cost. So what we thought would happen with virtual visits and telemedicine is happening. You know, Kaiser has recently said that half their visits are virtual, whether that's uh, in the case where I've been involved as an emergency physician with teleneurology consults during a, you know, acute stroke episode to follow up for a patient that has a chronic disease. That is coming of age and it's being led by providers, but also by companies that are building their own effectively virtual practices. It's a great consumer product, right? I mean, I love it. I've used it a couple of times. I think it's fantastic. Big consumer product. And I think, you know, you've made this observation recently in a publication you had in the area where physical exam matters less. In, for example, behavioral health, we're seeing even faster pickup than one might expect where people are going online to receive care in a uh, either synchronous or asynchronous way. And I think you know, telebehavioral health is a big opportunity, but it's, it's already being realized. We're also seeing, on, in terms of alternative care models, we're seeing employers take the bull by its horns and provide healthcare providers on site or in near site settings um, with kind of cl- more closed primary care networks. Um, and we're seeing um, subscription models for concierge care take off. And we're seeing pharmacies become healthcare providers at a faster rate than probably I expected. So I'm, I'm continually amazed by the utilization numbers I see coming out of CVS and Walgreens for their app. 
But as you probably know, Walgreens now enables you to talk to a clinician via their partnership with MD Live through their app. Right. You can have uh, prescriptions delivered to your home if you want. You get points if you link your health kit up um, that can be redeemed in the store. And so if you look at the footprint of a Walgreens with, the, I forget how many sites, I think it's north of 10,000 in the U.S., they have a massive footprint by which they can deliver you know, basic health care. Uh, and so I think we're seeing that happen. And then I think the two government payers, um, there's been a large kind of discussion around our exchanges failing with some of the nationals pulling out of exchanges. And, and that is true, and it's hard to operate profitably with some of the constraints in the PPACA, um, especially if you're limited to one state and you can't uh, diversify your risk across multiple states. Um, but the corollary to that is that there has been a huge growth uh, rate in the Medicaid business. And if you think about the dynamics, the people that are not insured today that are going on an exchange typically are people that are sole proprietors or not insured, obviously not in a big company, or not insured repeatedly for, for their part-time employees. Um, and these are typically people that may have um, uh, either are very healthy and don't want insurance or are, may not be so healthy but, but can't, aren't in a company or can't afford it. And so, you know, as many states have done, I would imagine there's going to be more overlap with the Medicaid requirements in a state. So, for example, some states now have the requirement for Medicaid as high as 400 times the federal poverty level. I'm uh, sorry, 400%, you know, 4X times the federal poverty level. That opens up a huge swath of people that can now get into a Medicaid plan where they don't have to pay anything, mm -hmm. uh, if you remember, um, and become, since most of Medicaid is managed, become part of a managed Medicaid plan. So I think um, although the commercial market, uh, sorry, the, uh, although the market for individual insurance under Obamacare has had its challenges, I think largely driven by the fact that insurance companies have some significant financial structures to deal with, as well as the fact that they can't use the same product across state lines. Um, the, the corollary is that the Medicaid business, especially as states elect to take federal dollars and expand eligibility, will become and continue to be a growth area. So I think that's, that is a mechanism for more coverage, um, which means that hospitals who work in those markets will get paid for the care they already probably provide. And then finally, in the Medicare market, Steve, we have seen bundle payments and especially CGR rapidly drive providers to understand how they, you know, think about how they construct bundles, which will help both with employers, but also with Medicare um, and how they, they create this kind of at-risk warranted procedure. Um, and of course, ACOs are still working, I think, albeit slower than many of us thought. Right. But those are, those are the, f the drivers on the payment side that are really generating the need for new IT uh, and, and services. Yeah, and I think the, um, you know, the drivers are also the reality that those products keep going up in price at unsustainable levels, right? I mean, corporations are using the bundles, and what I'm seeing is everything that comes out of uh, CMS, bundle payments, scoring positions, you know, specialized high-performance networks and all of those things, the large employers are like, well, I'd like to have that too. So, because right. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm still seeing, you know, ten percent increases every year, and and my margin, right. my profits aren't going up by that much, um, unless you're Google, right, or somebody like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
What tools are, are at our disposal in terms of technology to start to, to help the situation? Because to me, it feels like it's a market where there's a lot of stress on the, on the payers to get the costs under control. And there's a lot of stress on the providers because the life that they had been leading is, is, is changing into a new life that they're unfamiliar with. So how, where, 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 where does technology, this is obviously where digital health plays its role, what type of technologies fill, fill the gaps here for, for these, uh, these constituents? Yeah, I, I would say let's start with the payers for a second. I think payers, um, payers are looking for, for, we've talked about engagement for a number of years, but ideally what payers would, would like to have is uh, a knowledge base around the people that they're insuring such that they can weigh the risks and benefits of networks and coverage and prior authorization, formulary decisions, and so they can retain that over those people over time so that uh, as they make investments, say, by providing access to a drug, they receive the benefits in downstream health savings. And I think um, what we're seeing there is payers are uh, investing in more analytics solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're surprisingly more behind than, than I thought in the ways in which they can analyze not only their claims data, but even some clinical data they're starting to get access to. And they're also investing in technology platforms to engage with members. And and that could be through third parties. You know, insurance companies traditionally are not a very trusted brand. If you look at net promoter scores for insurance companies, they're, you know, some of the lowest out there. Mm -hmm. But using third parties, whether we call those, you know, steerage or uh, patient navigators, they they can help to provide more value um, in the conundrum that patients have in terms of deciding whether they need care, where they should go, and doing that in a convenient, cost-effective way, and thereby hoping to keep that patient as part of their network. Kaiser, you know where I'm affiliated um, clinically, they um, they do a great job at keeping patients happy so that they continue to elect to remain a Kaiser patient year after year. Um, and that's a complex set of activities that does require analytics on the back end and then front end IT to engage uh, patients. I think on the on the provider side, they're looking at. I'll focus on a couple of areas here, but I think we finally have digital information uh, on right. my patients, <laughs> and and that once you have info, that that's a big hurdle. And I'm 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 really glad that that as a country we paid to enable that through sure. the High Tech Act. Now that we have it. We've seen a whole uh, cadre of what I call retrospective analytic solutions, which is uh, Health Catalyst, the winner of the Innovation Award this year of the conference, is, is a great example of that. Um, and they tell you, in, in, in general, um, how you're doing with all that information. And they all often can tell you how you could, uh, it's all in kind of the rearview mirror for the most part, but how you would want to change your your. Um, uh, practice or your care pathways mm-hmm. or your financial management of patients. I think that era is here. We've seen lots of hospitals systems adopt that kind of analytic solution. I think what we're going to see next and where I think uh, now the huge opportunity is for ho- for provider systems is is the following. We can count everything now. We can look in the rearview mirror and figure out what we would like to have happened and what did happen. And, uh, and then we can say, well, we wish tomorrow we could do X. I think now we also have the opportunity with sophisticated real-time analytic solutions to find what's going on in real time, whether it's clinical, financial, or operational, right. um, and use machine learning, which is, can be considered a black box, with 
you know, more branching logic type approaches that are well validated to in real time offer guidance to an operational professional or financial or a clinical in clinical decision support, a clinical professional to change the trajectory right now. And I think that's the next step, the kind of semi-autopilot here to um, improving quality and improving efficiency, which effectively will lower costs some. Mm-hmm. I think the next step after that, and I want to use machine learning as an example of this, is uh, iRhythm and um, is an example of this as well, is there are a number of activities in healthcare where labor is the major cost. Sure. Where we should be automating lower-level tasks or tasks suited for a computer. Um, in the case of iRhythm, uh, iRhythm is a patch that, that collects, you know, two weeks of ECG data from a patient. It's a Band-Aid-like patch. And in the cloud, algorithms that are supervised by a clinical person help to decipher whether there are arrhythmias and what types are there. That automation brings huge scalability to those clinicians. We need that because the number of patients we have to serve in the next 20 years will outstrip the human provider capacity we have today, the way we deliver care today. So we have to automate some tasks and the tasks we will need to automate are lower level ones. So this is where I see huge opportunities here today but coming, which is automation of lower level tasks being done clinically and in the payer world as well. Um, For example, pre-auth, prior auth, can that be automated using rules rather than people on the phone? That kind of work will help us to first capture margin in the companies that do it and then lower cost over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and then the third, just to underline, uh, is, is high-throughput computing. So cloud-based computing is becoming high-throughput. We're seeing lots of new compu- computational architectures come out. So Microsoft announced this. Intel purchased a company that has field programmable Gatorades, FPGAs, in 2015. We're going to see um, the general CPU architecture we've seen coupled with specialized processing architectures for things like machine learning, which is going to take us 10 to 100x speed improvement Mm -hmm. on processing for all kinds of things from image processing, which is where a huge amount of automation will occur in the next five years in terms of clinical decision support. Radiologists will see a potentially 5x increase in throughput because target recognition will be done before they read a CT on CT data using image processing, probably running in the cloud because of these kinds of technologies. So that's, that's probably the third uh, technology theme I'd, I'd point to. Hey, everyone. Tom here. I just want to take a quick break to remind you to go to healthogy.com to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. We are selling out quickly, so uh, don't even wait for the end of this podcast. Go there right now. Go to healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. And you'll enjoy a great program put together by Robin Mittendorf and Bill Geary of Flair Capital. Uh, it's going to be a great day, and you should be there. So go to healthag.com to register. And now back to this conversation. Very cool. You know, um, I think it was about maybe six or seven episodes back, we had on Deborah Kilkpatrick from uh, Evidation, who is sort of building a business around demonstrating... Um, that the outcomes of certain clinical uh, digital health applications or digital health programs or, or IT systems significantly justify the investment in deploying them. And I guess, you know, when you and I talk about this, we talk about the fact that these are all great ideas, but at the end of the day, the way that the customers are going to 
begin to deploy them at scale is when they realize that uh, they out they outstrip the inertia of the current business that they're running in terms of return return on investment, um, and you know also in terms of the ability to to create better outcomes and a better consumer experience and p- potentially a better prov- provider experience. So, what type of proof are we seeing from your end in the marketplace that these investments are paying off in, in, in those vec- along those vectors? I think it's a great point you bring up because um, investment in a field is a modest proxy for some sort of success, but the next proxy is proof of customer value, mm-hmm. which we can call ROI, which we can call efficiency, safety, throughput, or other improvement. And then coming from that is proof that a business model to sell, deploy, implement, deploy um, that valuable product or service is is something that's scalable to a point where it's it's an investment that's worth something. And I think on that on that step of proof, we we now have proof that this field is um, is mature. We have proof that has been led by digital digital health companies, healthcare IT companies, in if not randomized prospective studies which is the way in which this field digests its information, uh, that shows that, for example, you can prevent a portion of diabetes, that you can reduce the number of, of exacerbations of a chronic condition using remote monitoring, that you can take of 100 patients that show up in an ED, 50 of them that could be treated virtually and put them in a virtual lower-cost setting without reducing quality that you can actually improve quality in the case I gave before with tele a neurology consult for stroke because you don't have to have a neurologist drive in where every minute before the the delivery of TPA, the clot-busting drug, affects that patient's outcome. So I think we're seeing that on the clinical side. We're seeing safety improve by early warning in patients where they don't have to come in with a symptom. We see a, a leading uh, a signal, a biometric signal, that something is going wrong where we can proactively reach out. We're seeing this in the respiratory space, for example. And then I think in the two other areas, throughput and financial performance, patient flow throughput, we're seeing this in two of our investments that technology platform to mind, uh, technology platforms can improve throughput also improve safety, but improve throughput in a way that you can measure in even three months mm-hmm. by making sure people know what's going on at the point they need to know. And then I think on financial performance, which all of those play into, we, we see that hospitals are employing new technologies, for example, to collect the larger and larger cash pay portion of their billings. So I think, I think we're seeing, and I can, I can quote you some evidence there, but um, suffice it to say, as an investor, I look for this evidence. And three years ago, it was scant. Now mm-hmm. it's becoming more robust, and it's becoming almost a requirement for a certain stage of investment. That legitimacy that you're creating value is the precursor to saying a business model will work. If you can create value that is in one of those areas, and you can quantify it, then you have the potential to right. sell a solution to someone where your cost to sell that solution is far less than the value you capture, and then you have a business model that's financeable. So I think we're seeing all of that. Um, all of the businesses that we fund have those kinds of proof points, um, but I think you're seeing that, and I think that is yeah. what's going to lead to even you know, greater returns in the future from a financial perspective. Yeah, I think, I think you and I were talking in, um, at Kaiser, where, where you practice, 
you had mentioned to me that a very high percentage of of their physician visit, visits are going virtual, and and that that of course is a wonderful. It's got to be more cost effective than you know a, a person to person visit, just as an, as one of those proof points. Is, is there other data that that comes to mind on this evidence side? Um, yeah, I would highlight, one, I'll, I'll give you some one, examples, one and I won't put the literature perfectly, but if you look at the two-year data from Omada, they were able to show a reduction in weight that's highly correlated with reduced um, uh, uh, conversion to diabetes. If you look at iRhythm, they capture more than two times the quantity of arrhythmias um, than a typical Holter event, which means that they're more sensitive, and that's the kind of test they are than our state-of-the-art Holter monitors. Um, if you look at um, one of my more recent ve- investments, they're able to reduce the left-without-being-seen rate in the ER uh, by um, identifying bottlenecks in patient flow and messaging in real time the people responsible for those bottlenecks to lower them such that if you are in the waiting room waiting to get into the ER, you, you don't have to wait 45 minutes, you wait 20, and that's because they more effect, efficiently manage the resources they already have. I think financially, um, Health Catalyst has shown this in a number of ways, that by looking at the physician practices at the physician level, you can identify, for example, which physicians are spending things, time in the OR, on equipment that may not lead to the outcomes that you're also measuring, and help to coach them to change their practice to to uh, you know, lower those costs and, and pay for the system. So I would point to the literature in all of those, in all of those companies that I'm, I'm more familiar with. Um, if you look in the behavioral health space, a company like Talkspace, you know, they, they've been using <clears throat> behavioral, uh, telebehavioral health to, to reach clinical outcomes that you would technically used to, used to see in face-to-face interactions. So they're showing that people are less depressed on their platform um, in a much lower cost, more uh, convenient way. So I think I think it's there, um, and I think we're seeing more of it. And I think we've seen an acceptance by the entrepreneurs in the field to prove what they claim, which is where things need to go. Very good. And of course, we'll be talking about um, all of these things, right, in Boston at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, where you're the co-chair. You want to give us just a quick uh, roundup on that event? So as we close up here, what what should we expect at that event? I know you had a a lot of input into the agenda. Yeah, I would say uh, I'll highlight some key things. So what's going to be interesting, I think, about this event this year, and we tried to include this, is it's a week before the election. And although we're not going to get too political, we have keynotes that I think will touch on, we have keynotes and speakers that will touch on the complex interplay between policymakers and our industry healthcare. So just to underline Dr. David Blumenthal, the president of the Commonwealth Fund, who used to work for the U.S. government in a healthcare IT capacity and now runs uh, you know, a very large nonprofit focused on this exact intersection, policy and, uh, and healthcare. He, he's written an amazing book, which I would encourage people to read, which really goes through the entire odyssey of healthcare policy in the U.S. So we're going to hear his comments which will probably frame this. We also have, in the afternoon, we have one of the key, if not architects, influencers on the PPACA, Jonathan Gruber, from MIT's Department of Economics, who will have a lot to say around, um, I think, around um, what the intentions of the ACA were and how, how far they were able to get you know, practically. Um, and then we, you know, we've got the afternoon with Gary Gottlieb, Dr. Gary Gottlieb, CEO of, of Partners, 
who's who's just been a leader for so many years in the space, uh, dealing with the complexity of being a provider, academic center, and payer. And then we've got uh, Charles Kuntz, the CEO of Jews Healthcare IT Business, who I think will I'll be interviewing him. Will be giving us a more uh, commercial perspective of of where the market is. Add to that a number of panels we have, which are just filled with high growth entrepreneurs, uh, leaders in hospital systems, and uh, and and uh, you know opinion leaders in the space. And I think you'll you'll have a, a great a great time at the event. <laughs> we did make sure this year to include a um, session that will both give attendees uh, an understanding of where the public markets think things are going with um, George Hill from Deutsche Bank and then where the private funding landscape is with uh, Katya Hancock, who's also on my advisory board from Startup Health. So uh, very excited about it. Of course, as usual, we'll have lots of time to network there with uh, 350 or so people that will attend. And hopefully it'll be an even bigger uh, success than last year. Very good, Robert. Uh, I'm Robert Mittendorf. um from Norwest Ventures, uh, Dr. Robert Mittendorf, so physician and VC, and co-chair of the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, and that takes place on November 2nd in Boston. I'll be there along with the rest of the, uh, the advisory board, and, and it's going to be a pretty awesome event. And uh, Robert, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you, Steve, and thank you for all the work that you've done in uh, this podcast series. You've done an amazing job at curating the perspectives of leaders in this space. Thank you very much. I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. Well, that is a wrap. Robin Mittendorf, thank you for all the work you've done on the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. It's great to have you back this year as co-chair. You and Bill Gary have built a fantastic program, one that I know we'll all enjoy on November 2nd. Steve Krupa, thank you for leading another great conversation on the podcast and also for your contributions to the conference. I look forward to uh, seeing a podcast recorded live on stage uh, at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. We'll have some more details on that shortly. And finally, thank you to our Breaking Health podcast listeners for joining us today. We hope you will join us as well on November 2nd in Boston. Go to healthigy.com. That's the word health, followed by letters egy.com to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. You better hurry. We are selling out. It's going to happen very soon. So uh, don't wait until next week. I really mean it. Thanks again uh, for, for listening. And of course, if you have a few minutes and you're on iTunes, please give the podcast a rating. Uh, slip in a comment. Love to know how we're doing. And, of course, tell your friends. Uh, the more the merrier here at the Breaking Health Podcast. Tune in next week for another tale of innovation with our host, Steve Krupa of the Silos Group. Music.